welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Hey, we are so happy you are joining us today. Uh, for those of you who might be new, I'm Amy. And I'm Emma. And together we are the podcasting duo, Monsters and Mixers. The monster portion of the podcast comes to you in the form of information about either a serial killer or paranormal event slash place. The Mixers part of Monsters and Mixers is all about the drinks. During our research for the episode, we try to find a drink that is either from the primary location or somewhat related to the content. So far, we've had some pretty interesting drinks that have yet to be a unanimous hit between the two of us. Yeah, maybe today will be the day. (laughs) I hope so. It was kind of difficult to find a signature drink for our location this week, so I decided that having one half of the ingredients made in that place was good enough. I also decided that I was going to try and kind of keep it a little secret from Emma and not let her taste it beforehand, so we will both be trying it for the first time live with you on air. Yeah. Yep. I mean, this one feels hopeful. Yeah. Because it's two things that I like a lot, so I... You wanna, there's no milk involved. Yeah. And thank God. Yeah, every one we've had has been milky and some gross, some not so gross. So this um, recipe, if you did not get it off of Facebook, which shame on you, go to Facebook, get our recipe, follow us, is super easy. It is simply a light beer and your favorite lemonade. You can go and get extra fancy and make your own lemonade. But why bother when they make delicious lemonade for like $1.99 at the store? So we are going with a Bud Light because this episode involves something from St. Louis. So we went with Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch product. It is actually right across the river from us. We are local around St. Louis. So all you have to do is get your Bud Light or your light beer and your lemonade, which we are mixing together now. You hear that for it's the Bud Light. So far, it's looking promising. We are splitting a beer to start, so <laughs> not gonna get too crazy. And then I don't know, the lemonade might send me over the edge. I'm gonna shake this. Sorry for the obnoxious sound, but can't have all the good stuff on the bottom. And this is our homestyle lemonade. Comes straight from Aldi. <laughs> So, any of you Aldi Isle of Shamers out there probably know the Aldi Lemonade is delicious. All right, and then you just mix them equal parts, or if you want it to be a little sweeter, you can add more lemonade and less beer. If you're feeling particularly like you need to get your drink on, you can lower the lemonade and add more beer. It's up to you. It's like an alcoholic um, bomber. Yeah, kind of. Just minus the tea at beer. All right, we are all mixed up, and... Cheers. Cheers. Give it a try. Mmm. Tasty. It's good. That's hella good. Yeah. I was hopeful for this one because it's like two of my favorite things on the planet. So mm-hmm. I don't know how it could go wrong. I'm actually surprised. 
that I've That's all these years I've never tried this on my own. Never heard of it in my life. For right. Me, for real. Yummy. You know that we like it because we're still drinking and we haven't moved on yet, but that's okay. That's good. Delish. Mm. All right, one more sip. I would also like to give a birthday shout out to my co-host. Thank you. Happy birthday, Emma. Thank you very much. Her birthday was a few days ago. I also acknowledge it on Facebook and Twitter. So if you didn't <laughs> see it there, like and follow. All right. As we discussed last episode, we're going to kind of switch things up in our format a little bit. I'm going to be doing these supernatural episodes, and by that I mean I'm going to do the research, and I'm going to pretty much just be presenting what I find to Emma, and she's going to be responding, and then she's going to do the research for the true crime episodes. So today is a supernatural episode. Emma is going to be hearing the information for the first time, but it is a story that she's somewhat familiar with. And then we're going to switch it up for the next episode. This one's probably going to be a multi-parter, so it'll be in a few episodes. And then I will do research on a true crime case of my liking and tell it to you mm -hmm. with fresh ears. Um, but we hope this will make it easier for us to get more episodes out. And also, as we've stated many times, I'm way more into the true crime, uh, real shit that's scary in the world. And you are more interested in the paranormal absolutely stuff like that and it'll be fun to see what each of us have to bring to yeah. the table and it i don't know i kind of feel like it might help too with being a little more surprised at some things i will just see it might just add a new dynamic and we may end up not liking it and going back to the way that it was who knows but i am super excited also that we are going to be making another change to the show as well and this is going to be in a couple episodes because we're still working out the technological kinks but we're going to try to do some video and upload to YouTube. And we're still going to do the audio recordings like we have been. So if you are just an audio-only podcaster, don't worry. We're not going to make you have to go to YouTube and follow and do all new things. But there is a very significant amount of people that really like to go to YouTube to get their content. And we don't want to not be able to reach those people. So we are going to mix it up and see how it goes. I don't have any makeup on today, so today's not the day. But yeah, no, I didn't get out of bed until <laughs> yeah. like 1 p.m. So today is definitely not the day for me to be on camera. For sure. But we do feel like this would be a good, it's going to be a good change. We'll see. Um, so without further ado, today's episode is the true story of the exorcist. And it is as told by the one of the priests who was there and performed the exorcism rites. His name was Father Raymond Bishop. A few years ago, I want to say maybe like five or seven, his diary was published, a diary journal, you can call it whatever you want. Um, and it is scary, 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 super scary. The entire document is 29 pages long, which is why we are not going to be doing that all in one episode. That's too long. You guys would be probably checking out about halfway through that. But it... Definitely, I wanted to do a deep dive on it and bring the things to you because it, I, I'm not going to lie, the first time I read it, I was utterly terrified. It is super duper scary. It is a hundred times scarier than the movie The Exorcist. And I, if you've seen The Exorcist, you know that that is scary as fuck. And so for something to be scarier than that, it definitely 
it's definitely scary. Yeah, what is the local radio show that does the Halloween episodes? Dave Glover? Dave Glover. Yeah. Um, if you're in, like, the St. Louis area, Dave Glover is a radio personality, and he does, like, special Halloween episodes every year where he goes to, like, an on-location type of thing, and they do kind of, like, a investigation of their own and i'm pretty sure the year that these came out or were like released to the public that they went to like the actual exorcist house or whatever mm-hmm. that year and their um their radio show was kind of spooky too mm-hmm. i mean they really get spooky. like they get really freaked out really easily but and that one i think they might have had well yeah on their halloween shows they do like a video and mm-hmm. you could probably find it on their facebook page they're not on the same radio station anymore as they were before so i'm not sure if who actually owns the content rights to that. You'll have to do a little digging on your own if you want to find it. So I want to talk about the Exorcist movie really quickly because they're getting ready to do a sequel. And I thought there was a sequel because I distinctly remember watching Exorcist 2 and 3, but apparently they're doing something that they think is a little more true to a sequel sequel and actually follows Reagan, who was the played by the legendary actress Linda Blair. Shout out to Linda Blair for being phenomenal and a dynamite woman. Yeah, she's a bad bitch. And so they're doing another one, and it should be coming out in the next couple of years. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I'm very excited. Um, I can't talk about The Exorcist without talking about the one scene that has forever scarred me for life, and it's actually not in the original director's cut or theatrical cut of the movie and it's when Linda Blair crab walks down the stairs all contorted and Backwards, stuff yeah. yeah that's probably one of the most like famous horror movie scenes ever if it's I had terrifying. to say so like to this day if I'm going up like a really steep staircase I always call them exorcist stairs because it's just something that's imprinted in your brain when you see it for the first time yeah it's Really, really super scary. All right, so without giving away too much of the movie, in case you haven't seen it, we are going to move on. And like I said, this is the diary of the priest, and he took some really good notes. He documented lots and lots of things. We're going to start with the background of the story. And unlike the movie, the child in the actual true story that was possessed was a 14-year-old boy who the Roman Catholic Church gave a nickname of Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. As with many stories that have a minor involved, they changed the name to protect the identity. Um, an investigative journalist believes he discovered the true identity of Roland Doe, and he thinks that the young man's name was Roland Hunkler, but that is super, super hard to verify. And if it is Roland Hunkler, I am not trying to out him because he has done a very good job of keeping his identity hidden for a long, long time. And so we are just going to only refer to the child in the story as Roland Doe or probably mostly just Roland. Was Roland a popular name back in the day? I don't think so. Because it's just so weird to me that they would, if the journalist is correct and finding the real name, it's so weird to me that they'd use, like, this kid's real, real first name. name because it's in, like, a small town and there's only, like, two Rollins and one of them's only 14. <laughs> like, I think it'd be easy to find. That is a good point. We'll change his they... name up a lot. His name's going to be Roland uh, uh, so weird that Doe. do, like, the yeah. John Doe thing where you can't identify him at all. That's very true. I didn't even think about that until just now. 
I was like sitting here like they dox them on their own. <laughs> it is a very shitty way to um, keep a person in hiding by using their actual first name. Yeah. Pausing for a drink. I'm telling you, this stuff is good. There are some reports that his classmates have given regarding what kind of person Roland was, and they're conflicting. One stated he was super quiet, reserved, a good student. Another said he was mean, sadistic, and liked to, quote, sick his dogs on people. Like, he would invite people over to his house and sick boys. don't <laughs> lock them in the basement and then just sick the dog on them and they couldn't get out. Oh, my God. This could just be something. That's saying literally some... my biggest nightmare. <laughs> that could just be some kid talking shit. We don't know. But so either poor Roland that got possessed was a super nice, studious boy or he was some really mean shithead that put people in a basement and sick the dog on them. <laughs> you decide. We don't know. I think based on some other things that I have read that he actually probably was more uh, the quiet, studious person because even the priest records say that he didn't have very many friends. He spent a lot of time at home, specifically with his aunt Harriet. And I could actually find her name and verify that that was her name. Sometimes she's also called, um, I think it was Trudy, so Trudy or Harriet. When I first started doing research, I couldn't um, think of her name, so I just I started making up some stuff. Tilly, that's what her other name was. Harriet or Tilly. I was calling her Trudy. <laughs> uh, yeah. You have to have a name for somebody. I couldn't just keep writing aunt. It was too much. So the diary of the father, of Father Raymond Bishop, begins here. On January 15th of 1949 in Cottage City, Maryland, this is where it all started. What started as a simple dripping noise that was only heard by Roland and his grandma quickly escalated into a possess possession of epic proportion. And I have used as much of his wording as possible, but I have paraphrased it because it was not, it was written very in notes, so it doesn't really flow well. So I have used, like I said, as many real words from Father Raymond Bishop as possible, but cleaned it up so it was easier to use. All right, so I'm just going to go through a little list of events first, and then we will get into like an actual breakdown of the story. And if you haven't started drinking your beverage, I would, because I'm not kidding. It is really, really scary. All right, so first there was this dripping noise, and it was originally only heard by Roland and his grandma in her bedroom. Shortly afterward, the picture of Christ that the grandma had on the wall started shaking so hard that it looked like somebody was like banging on the wall from behind or had like bumped the wall below it and no one was around. And a little important note to put in here, his grandma was super duper fanatical religious, which might play into the whole possession thing later. Roland's parents came home a little while later and they were able to witness very obvious sounds of scratching under the grandma's beds and under the floorboards. And then so from that night on, every night, there was scratching heard, and that started at 7 o'clock, and it ended at midnight. They called an exterminator because that's the most logical choice you would make at first. I think you have, like, mice in your walls or something. Yeah, they wanted to catch or kill what they assumed was an animal. There was never an animal found, but the noises kept coming on, kept going. They were getting worse when the family was stomping on the ground and things which is not a really normal animal behavior. Usually if you have a mouse or something nearby and you bang on the wall by it, it's going to run away. 
it's definitely not going to pound back at you. That's just not normal. On the 10th day, the sound completely stopped. They thought the animal had finally succumbed to the poison, and so they started to relax a bit. Except for poor Roland, who kept telling everybody he was super adamant that he could still hear the sound. And no one believed him because no one else could hear it. And he kept saying, I hear it. It's all over the place. I hear it. After the third, third day, the sound became audible again to everybody else. So the creepy thing about this is it had actually changed locations, though. Where do you think it got changed to? Probably to poor Roland's bedroom, <laughs> Ab- if I had to guess so. Absolutely. Even poor. The fact that he could still hear it when no one else Well, could. he could hear it originally, though, in the grandma's bedroom. Yeah. And then it, when everybody else could hear it, it had, in fact, moved to poor Roland's bedroom. So Roland's bedroom was downstairs, and the sound had followed then to his room. But it had changed a little bit. It was no longer a scratching sound. It sounded like shoes squeaking on the ground. And not just on the ground, but particularly shoes squeaking around his bed. And it was only heard at night when Roland went into sleep and tried to go to sleep at night. It happened for six nights, and on the sixth night, the scratching could be heard again. So it was feet, and then it was scratching. At that point, it just has to be annoying. I w- yeah, probably. And just like, let me sleep. And scary. I mean, you're 14. It's, yeah, scary and annoying. It's like, man. Um, this part, I think, is super creepy. Uh, one of the scariest things I read in here. On the sixth night, the mom, grandma, and Roland were lying in the bed together because he couldn't sleep, and they were trying to help him a little bit. When they heard something coming toward them that sounded like the rhythmic marching of feet and the beating of drums. So they could literally hear. It sounded like very intentional, rhythmic pounds. It would start at the end of the bed, travel all the way up to the top, and then it would go back to the bottom again. And it continued for a long time. And then the mom made this really awful decision that she was going to communicate with the presence. Okay, so I'm going to sound like a little bit of a hypocrite here. And don't get me wrong, I probably would have done this too. But in this case, I think it pro- it is potentially what escalated the situation into the possession. And I mean, I wouldn't judge. Like, that would probably be most people's gut reaction when you've been, like, tormented by something for, like, weeks. And you're just like, hey, like, knock it off. Like, what do you want? Yeah. I mean... Now we know because we've seen so many scary movies. Like, oh, don't talk to it. But, like, back then, they're probably just like, what is up here? Um, yeah. Tell me who you are. You sugars <laughs> You sound like Zach. <laughs> so here they are. The three of them are lying in the bed, listening to an invisible force marching up and down the bed. And the mom says, is this you, Aunt Harriet? It was a redacted name, but I was able to find it. So just so you know that if you read this online, if you find it and read it, They're not going to have the names, but I did a little deep diving. So the aunt, Aunt Harriet, had recently died in St. Louis right around the exact same time that the scratching sounds were heard for the first time. There was no audible answer to, hey, Aunt Harriet, is that you? So the mom kept asking questions until she got the idea to ask for a manifestation as a reply. And for those of you who don't know, uh, many people in the spiritual, you know, realm and people that deal with like these kinds of things say that's a big no-no. 
you should not ask for spirits to perform acts like, hey, if you're here, turn the light off and on or make a sound or whatever, because that invites them into this realm and allows them to have more power than what they have when they're just kind of living in the land of I'm going to march up and down around your bed kind of thing. I personally am of the mindset that if something is that powerful, if it's a demon, it doesn't really need my permission to enter this realm and it's going to get me if it wants to, but that's just my opinion. And if you start playing around and you do something and you start spitting pea soup, don't come for me. Don't blame me. I am just saying. You cannot be held responsible I, yeah. for what you choose to do. Disclaimer, I did not tell you to go start channeling spirits. Okay. Anywho, the mom asked specifically, if you are Aunt Harriet, knock three times. It is said that there were waves of air like striking the three of them. And then three distinct knocks were heard on the floor. They still weren't convinced. So the mother asked again, if you are Aunt Harriet, tell me positively by knocking four times. There were four knocks heard that time. And then the sound of a claw scratching the mattress. That would have scared the crap out of me. Yeah, my question is, why are they still laying in the bed in the basement? I would have been I could only imagine running that. up those stairs. That they're probably kind of all huddled together. Yeah. Although they think it's Harriet, so maybe they thought Harriet was fine. Um, Aunt Harriet, as it turns out, tended to be a bit of a drama queen because when they ignored the scratching, the entire mattress then began to shake, sometimes very violently. And once, the sheet was pulled out from under the mattress and stretched up above the bed like it was held tight with, like, starch. And one of them reached forward to touch it to see what the hell was going on, and it just collapsed and fell back down onto the bed. If that's Aunt Harriet, she's a bitch. <laughs> like, why is she tormenting her family? Well, I'm going to guess it probably isn't I'm gonna, Aunt yeah, Harriet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, too, but, like, what? Yeah. No. So after that night, after they asked Aunt Harriet all of these questions, the scratching happened every single night. Um, one month and 11 days later, on February 26th, Roland woke up with scratches on his body four straight nights in a row. And on the fourth night, words were printed on his body. The letters were clearly written, but it looked like somebody had scratched him on with a claw. Do you know what it said? It did, they didn't say what it said, but we're going to go through... Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> I am not Harriet. Four times. Um, so they decided that the best thing to do at this point is to run from the devil. Run. I, I don't think anyone there thought that was Harriet. They're like, nope, this is not okay. So like I said earlier, Harriet had died in St. Louis and Mrs. Doe, Roland Doe, his mom, was originally from St. Louis and was trying to decide if they were going to take Roland there to try and get away from the house and see if when they moved out of the house, if the things stopped. So Aunt Harriet or Aunt Harriet's ghost seemed to think this was a great idea because one evening poor Roland had the word Lewis carved into his ribs as in St. Louis. Hmm. No response. He got words carved into his ribs and you're just like, meh. I mean, that's terrifying, but. That's just weird. Like, if it's not Aunt Harriet, then whatever it is is listening mm. and taking yeah. words into consideration. For sure. Um, later, they were trying to decide what 
day they wanted to leave, and the word Saturday was written on his hip. And I then, would just stop talking out loud. They're like <laughs> using their poor child as a freaking scratch pad. Yeah, it's that's crazy. horrible. Yeah, and then they were trying to decide how long they wanted to stay in St. Louis, and three and a half weeks was scrawled on his chest. Those are oddly specific, very strange things to have written on someone. The family stated that at no time during when any of the marks appeared on Roland did he ever make any motions with his hands, and obviously he seemed to be in great pain. His mom said he doubled up and uttered a rather terrifying sound. So I can imagine if you're getting clawed and words are appearing that it's going to be pretty painful. There were actually even a few times where the markings appeared on Roland's back in places where he couldn't reach himself. So unless someone else was doing it and they weren't able to see them, there was no way that Roland was doing this himself. At least the family was convinced this is not it. So they decided they were going to go to St. Louis. Not sure about three and a half weeks at this point. Saturday. (laughs) On Saturday. (laughs) Once the family was in St. Louis, the writing on Roland continued. Specifically, when they were trying to decide if Roland should attend school or not, the message no appeared on his wrist along with a large N on both legs. Now, this is the one point where I think if the kid was going to fake it, it's probably where he did. (laughs) No. Use it to his advantage. Yeah. Should I go to school? No. But they naturally did not send him. The mom was too afraid because you have a spirit that's strong enough to carve no and Saturday and all these things onto them. They were afraid that if they sent him something really bad was going to happen. There is actually later on a story. Oh, it's coming up soon. There were several other things noted to have happened. Some while they were still at home in Maryland, while Roland was at school, and some while they were visiting friends in a nearby town. So an orange and a pear flew across the room. The kitchen table turned upside down without anyone touching it. A cutting board was thrown onto the floor. A coat that was still hanging on its hanger flew across the room. So it wasn't like a breeze just blew the coat over. And a comb flew across the room. And the comb, when it flew across the room, it extinguished their blessed candles they had in the house. Because remember, Grandma was big into that. And a Bible was thrown at the feet of Roland. Once, when they were at a friend's house, the rocking chair that Roland was sitting in spun completely around in a circle without Roland moving at all. And the final event that was so embarrassing to Roland, this is what caused him to stop attending school before they decided to send him back, or they were going to before no, you know, was put on there. Uh, It is said that he was sitting at his desk and his desk moved on the floor in a pattern very similar to the face of a Ouija board. So that would have, I'm sure, been very terrifying to everyone in the... Like, yeah. it's like you have all of these people who are witnessing this. Did they ever speak to children or teachers and be like, did you see this happen? Yeah. Um, later on, the priest talked to the one guy. He's the one that saw his desk move around was the one that said he was a real jerk that liked to stick his dog on people. It reminds me of Hereditary a lot. Yeah, Where kind it's of. like infiltrating their lives everywhere. Like, even when he's at school, he's still having these really embarrassing moments because he's seeing things that other people aren't seeing. Yeah. And having, like, outbursts. Side note, if you haven't so seen Hereditary, you should. Oh, my gosh, yes. 
amazing. Should be at the top of your list. Absolutely. All right. So Emma just asked a really good question. It kind of leads us into the next section. Did anybody say anything? There's all these people witnessing. Did anybody say anything? So if you're like me, it's sometimes hard to believe these stories because they sound really outlandish. And I am, I'm a believer and I truly believe in the paranormal and things, but even some of this stuff sounds a little too out there for me. However, in the case of Roland Doe, there were 14 different witnesses that confirmed, am I boring you? Oh my goodness. That confirmed. I feel like I had no (laughs) air left in my body. Oh no. 14 different people confirmed the things that had happened. There were two Lutheran ministers that were called in to investigate. One of them, and I know, don't even be coming at me with some cheeky comments. One of them slept in the same bed with Roland to monitor his behavior and was making him face throughout the night and document any happenings. Like the same bed, not just the same bedroom. Yeah, well, it's, I'm sure what? there was only one so bed. So they're in there. Roman Catholic. This oh. was a Lutheran minister. Because they were, they were a combination of Lutheran and Catholic. None of them really, besides Grandma, were super practicing. That's weird. That's weird. Well, you have to, if you're going to monitor somebody. Floor. Okay, whatever. You don't have to be in the same bed as poor 14-year-old traumatized Roland. Except for poor Roland was saying things were happening to his bed. So if you're going to see if that's happening, it would be best to be right there. Anyway. Whatever. During the night, the minister observed the same clawing sounds that the does reported in their home. To thwart the activity, the minister began praying, but the entity could not be discouraged by the prayer and the activity increased. At some point, for some reason, it was not specified. Roland was tied to a chair during one of the observation sessions, and the chair tipped over, like, without Roland even moving. Please something that needs some reasoning behind. It did not. It literally just, just strapped it, down. It said this just poor kid yeah. was in a hell shell. It literally just oh said God. it like that. Roland was tied to a chair. Yeah. A few people were called in and did not support the claims. So a psychiatrist stated that he did not find anything abnormal with Roland and that during the investigation, Roland was just kind of irritated with the questions. Like, why are you asking me this stuff? Leave me alone. But that could have been because the devil was telling him to say that. Also, it could be because he's a teenage boy who's tired of answering the same questions over and over again. It could be. A physician found Roland to be in perfect physical health and found no medical causes for his behavior. So both those two were kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't think anything's really going on. But they really did not stay in the house and try and see or prove or disprove anything on their own. All right. At this point in the diary, the priest takes time to mention that Aunt Harriet, the one who passed away in St. Louis that they talked to, believed very much in spiritualism, and she often consulted spiritualists. And much like today, religion then did not think very highly of spiritualistic practices. And I believe the small blurb, that's the only way to describe it, it was in parentheses, and Father Bishop's journal is kind of a way of suggesting that the aunt may have caused the entity to latch onto Roland. It's embedded into a sentence that says, quote, a spiritualist was called in to use his formula for ridding people of spirits, but he had no success. It is also noted in several sources that Aunt Harriet taught Roland how to use a Ouija board in 1948. And many believe this to have been the catalyst for the events. Um, you believe whatever you want on that one. I'm not sure how I feel. It was mentioned um, in several sources that I found, though, that 
Harriet did teach him how to use a Ouija board, and there are some speculations out there that he then used it by himself a lot, which is Ouija board rule number one, big no-no. You don't... But, like, back in the day, people just played that like a game. Like, it wasn't... Yeah, it was a parlor game. Like, now that we know whatever, we have so many movies, and it's been so Hollywoodized and stuff like that, it's way different, but, like, I know, like, my grandma would always talk... She's talked about how she would just play it for fun. Like, they never got any answers, but it was just, like, something fun to do. Kind of like playing Monopoly. Yeah. Um, would it change your mind and make you think there was something weird to it if I told you that two weeks after Harriet did the Ouija board with him was when she died? Well, how old was she? Uh, 50-something, and she died, like, of some insane, like, not natural... Like freak accident? No, it wasn't a freak accident. She was, like, dropped dead. Uh, well, I mean, I've never heard of that happening before, so... And then, all of a sudden... Or Roland is traumatized. And when they possessed. say like a spiritualist, do they mean like just a psychic? Uh, kind of. More like a... Like someone who's... More like a medium. Somebody who actually practices like... Wasn't a psychic a medium? No, because psychics are people who just can see or predict things. A medium is someone who actively seeks out trying to communicate with the other side. If I'm wrong... Yeah, I can imagine. That's probably me. something that was frowned upon in 1948. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I would imagine, especially in a very strong Catholic area. Mm -hmm. To try and help Roland after the failed spiritual session, Father Hughes, a Catholic priest from St. James Parish in Maryland, was asked to give some advice to end the torment. He suggested the usual religious stuff like blessed candles, holy water, and intentional prayers. And an intentional prayer is like when you literally pick a specific part of a I think it's called a cate catechism, but I don't know. I'm not Catholic. Where you pick a special blessing that is targeted to that area and try to, like, drive whatever forces out. Um, they d He did not do it for her. Instead, the mom took the items home to use on her own. Yeah, so here's the poor mom going through all this shit, and you send her home with candles. This is literally like the candles in house story where they told her to use freaking yeah. well, the bleach, ammonia, and something else. And they told her to create a chlorine cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, mom goes Poor home ladies. armed with holy water and candles, and when she placed the holy water on a shelf, the bottle flew across the room, but it didn't break. Thank God she got to keep that. And she also said that she stood vigil at night with the candles in bed beside Roland and that the bed and the two of them swayed back and forth while she was in the bed. Yeah. Weird. Um, everyone observed that the prayers ag aggravated the activity. So when she started praying, things really heated up. It was during this time that Father Hughes began seeking permission for an actual exorcism. Because if you didn't know, you have to get permission from the Catholic Church and it's pretty high up and they don't do it often. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like you can just be you know, playing for a day and they'll give you an exorcism. And I don't think, like, every priest is even trained in, like, the rites of exorcism. No, I don't I think, think so either. You have to be, like, an exorcist to... Yeah. Uh-huh. No pun intended. You have to be an exorcist <laughs> to <laughs> be able to get permission to do that. Yeah. Um, he His plan, Father Hughes' plan, was to do it in Maryland, but they decided, don't they, they'd had enough. The family headed to St. Louis, and so he was unable to follow through. And I feel like that might have been their biggest mistake because had they actually maybe done it when it was a minor possession because there are degrees of possession had they done it before it was completely had its claws sunk in and was super attached 
this child may not have gone through the things that he went through later. Yeah, they drove him from Maryland to St. Louis while he's getting demon words written on his skin. They could have at least, like, stayed long enough to have the exorcism performed, and if it didn't work, then they could be like, okay, we need to leave. Yeah. I mean, hindsight. That's what, I mean, yeah, hindsight, whatever, not trying to judge, but... Yeah. Well, in St. Louis, more witnesses observed the phenomenon. Two of Roland's aunts, four uncles, and four cousins all proclaimed to have seen the mattress swing. The bedroom furniture constantly got messed up, and they all heard the scratching on the mattress. Four of them say they saw no school scratched into Roland, or just no, I would assume. And on March 19th, 9th of 1949, the violent moving of the mattresses and scratches on Roland was observed by several people, including the mom, one aunt, an uncle, an older cousin, a family friend, and Father Bishop. So enters Father Bishop, the one who, whose diary we are currently reading. So Father Bishop was brought into the situation when a cousin of Roland's who went to Father Bishop's school and was in Father Bishop's class asked if he could help. He was really worried about his cousin. He was like, hey, Father Bishop. You know, can you help my cousin out? And so he was like, okay, yeah, I can come home. Together with the president of the university, Father Reinhardt and Father Kenny, they decided it would probably benefit Roland to be blessed. So they all came, they were like, we're just going to go. We're going to do a blessing, see what that helps. The priest also agreed to go to the home and bless the room and house that Roland was sleeping in. So they were thinking, all right, this is going to help. This is going to do something. But, obviously it didn't, because we have lots more story to tell. And I have been chugging on this drink. So, we will be right back with a new beverage. See you in just a sec. Okay, we are back with Fresh Sandies. That's what this drink is called. Not sure if I said that earlier, but I think I did. Uh, are you ready to hear about what happened to Roland when he was in St. Louis? Emma? Yeah! <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just because I know she did that thing and I was going to delete it, I'm not. <laughs> we're we're going to keep on going. <laughs> now, y'all, that was Emma, not Amy. So... We're just going to keep going. All right. Sorry. Idiot. All right. Yes, I'm ready. Oh, Lord. All right. So, Father Raymond Bishop. I'm not even going to. We're just going to have to stop for a second. I'm going to have to take a drink and chill. This is a very serious and scary story. And you're fucking up the atmosphere. Stop it. Sorry. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> All right, another big drink. Father Raymond Bishop kept really, really good notes, like fabulous, fantastic notes about everything that happened to Roland Doe and his family. Like I said before, the following events are taken directly from his writings and are in chronological order, get a grip, for what occurred while Roland was in St. Louis. I have paraphrased to shorten and clean up some of the writing, but for the most part, these are his words. On Monday, March 7th, 1949, the spirit claimed to be Aunt Harriet while it was questioned through an alphabetic medium conducted on the kitchen table. 
I think this was something like a homemade Ouija board. The spirit claimed it was not the devil and attempted to confirm this by moving a large, heavy bed three feet. Yeah. Three feet. Three feet. What the? There was no one near the bed at the time. Everyone present saw the writing on the table and saw the bed moving. During this time, Roland was sitting reading a comic and writing appeared on him through his clothing. No one was by him again. He was just sitting there chilling. That night when Roland went to bed, there was a great deal of shaking of his bed and scratching on the mattress. The next night, on Tuesday, March 8th, a cousin slept with Roland and observed the bed to be violently shaking even when he was laying in bed with Roland and he heard the scratching. So there's another witness. I believe that was the same cousin that asked for Father Bishop to come. If you're not, I'm side note, this is not from the diary, but oftentimes when a spirit knows that you're going to try and force it out, things will really escalate. And I believe this is what's happening at this point. On Wednesday of the same week was the night that Father Bishop came and blessed the house. During the time that they blessed Roland's room and put a second class relic of St. Mary Margaret onto the corner of Roland's pillow during that time. So that is just like a little... Yeah, just like a little thing. They It was a picture because they safety pinned it to the pillow. Right after Roland went to bed, the bed began to move back and forth in all directions. So side to side, front to back, all over the place. And Father Bishop was able to observe that Roland was not moving at all in the bed while the bed was moving. He was lying perfectly still. And that the bed, he said, only moved around three inches either direction, which... He said it really nonchalantly, but that sounds like a lot to me um, for your bed to be moving. And it only lasted 15 minutes. The movement ended when this priest sprinkled holy water onto the bed in the form of a cross. But it started again the minute that the father left the room. It was during these 15 minutes that Roland was seen to be in horrible pain and cried out. His mom lifted his pajamas to reveal zigzag scratches and red lines on his stomach. There were six people present during this time. The priest was with Roland, and all of them confirmed the same things happening. At 11.15, the mattress stopped shaking, and the house went quiet for the night. So it's kind of one of those things where it just kind of comes and goes. On Thursday, March 10th, the same people were all present and saw the mattress shaking again. Sorry, we have more cat problems. Jesus. We're going to have to, like, rent a studio. Emma's going to have to go take care of this. Our cat is playing with her little house that sounds like Rice Krispies. And we're just going to have to start this whole segment over. I don't know. It's seeming very unprofessional. We do apologize. <laughs> I don't think she's going to be professional. That is true. All right. So, back to the story. <laughs> no, we got to stop. Okay, and we are back. The cat problem has been fixed, we think, for a moment. This is our second time trying to come back because it wasn't okay. Anyway, on Thursday, March 10th, the same people were all present, and they saw the mattress shaking again. And this night, the marching sound came back, so they were hearing the person marching up and down the floor again. In addition to this, the second-class relic of St. Mary Margaret that we mentioned earlier was thrown on the floor. So when it was inspected, they found that the safety pin had been opened despite no one touching it. 
Roland was awakened with fright when the relic was thrown down. So something was able to unhook a safety pin and toss this thing across the room. What do you think about that? It's creepy. <laughs> I feel like so far the um, parts of the story that are most like the movie is definitely the bed. Yeah, for sure. That was a big part of the exorcist. Yeah. All right. Because shit was getting really serious on Friday, the same people were there, but they called in Father Bishop and Father Dowdern, along with a father whose name was redacted. I guess he did not want to be involved and mentioned in this. They brought with them a small arsenal of religious artifacts to aid in the blessing of Roland. They had with them a first-class relic of St. Xavier, and so they only had that second-class one earlier, a crucifix containing first-class relics of several of the North American martyrs and one of St. Peter Canisius, or Canisius. 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 Okay, we'll go with that. A little bit after Roland went to bed around 11 p.m., he yelled down to the rest of the people present to say that he was scared and that a strong force threw something against the mirror in the bedroom. When they went to inspect, they found that the St. Mary Margaret's relic, again, had been audibly thrown against the mirror. Roland also had a cross scratched into his forearm that remained there for about 45 minutes. And this is the part that's getting definitely more like the movie. Father Bowdern, Bowdern read the Novena Prayer of St. Francis Xavier and then blessed Roland with the relic, which was a piece of bone, kind of creepy, from the forearm of St. Francis Xavier. It's kind of gothic. Yeah, I mean. I think that's awesome. I don't know if I want to be blessed with the bone, but that's kind of creepy. Uh, then a crucifix container was safety pinned under Roland's pillow. This seemed to help keep things kind of at bay for a while, while everyone was in the room and everything was silent. But after everybody left and went downstairs to review their notes and talk, a loud crash was heard from Roland's bedroom. And when they got up there, they found that while Roland had been sleeping, a bottle of the holy water had been thrown from a table and was two feet, or table that was two feet away from the bed. And a bookcase was moved and turned completely around facing the entrance to the room. The stool and dressing table had also been moved away from the table and close to the bed, which was two feet away. So Aunt Harriet, or whoever, is not real happy with the furnishings. Full-on poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Her own furniture. Right. Within just a few feet of the stool being moved back into its original position, it was turned over again. Roland and his mom were in bed when the crucifix and relics crucifix with relics was moved from under the pillow to the foot of the bed and the St. Mary or Margaret Mary's relic was somehow lost in the room. They did find it later, but so I'm not sure why they keep trying to use the St. Margaret Mary's relic. It does not seem to be doing a whole lot. using safety pin. Yeah. Clearly whatever it is is smarter than a safety pin. Definitely. Scratching and shaking of the bed began again. And so the five people present decided to question the spirit to see if they could determine with certainty who it was. So I'm just going to let that sink in again as if questioning the spirit was such a good idea the first time. So now they're going to talk to him again. They decided to be really super specific this time, though, and ask questions that only Aunt Harriet knew the answers to. They asked questions regarding money that she had hidden before her death. 
Yeah. Of course they I did. know. Aunt Harriet's like starring in the Goonies now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> she gave them directions to the location of the money. So she was like, yep, here it is. And the bed began to shake really violently whenever Roland's father's name was mentioned. You notice his dad has not been like in mm-hmm. this story at all. Yeah, no, it's just his mom and his grandma. Yeah, what the hell? After they asked a few more questions, it was determined that the Aunt Harriet spirit did not want anyone but her daughter to have access to the money. So she was getting peeved off thinking that Roland's dad was going to find out where the money was and go get it. I don't know. The investigators also found a correlation between the time that Aunt Harriet told everyone to go to bed on the night that she passed and the things that were happening. So... On the night that she died, she told everyone to go to bed at 10, and around 2.30, 2 to 2.30, she died, which is pretty much the same thing that had been going on, that his bed would start shaking around 10, and it would stop around 2.30, but they wouldn't say in the priest, um, in his diary, he would not say specifically what time everything stopped, and I'm not sure why. I have to imagine it was around 3. Probably has something to do with, like, legality also with, like, her time of death, maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I just always think of, maybe, again, because I watch too many movies, but I always think of the 3 o'clock as being, like, you know, the witching hour. Witching hour, but you would think then that things would really rub up during that time. But, no, in this instance, they stopped. Okay, so on Saturday, March 12th, two of the priests came back to the home, but before they got there, things were going super crazy. The large bookcase in the bedroom that was filled with books, so it wasn't empty, and was estimated to weigh more than 50 pounds, was quickly moved away from the wall again without anyone touching it or even being near it. And just before the priest went upstairs to Roland's room, they heard a quick scraping noise and saw that the bookcase had swung around in a semicircular arc between five and six feet. I don't know what's moving a 50-pound bookcase quite that easily, but it's really scary. Father Bishop replaced the bookcase. <laughs> Mark, you know, Harriet was strong as hell. And pissed off. Yeah. Father Bishop replaced the bookcase, and Father Bowdern did another blessing on Roland with the relic of St. Francis Xavier, which seems to work a little better, and holy water before praying from 12 to 3 a.m. After the bookcase incident, the praying eased the evil spirit's activity, and Roland was able to sleep peacefully. I think that's the part of the story that, I forget about a lot is that I can't imagine how sleep deprived this poor kid is. Seems that's all he's doing, <laughs> sleeping. Except for he's not though, because like, all the stuff happened. Talked about it all, he's sleeping. That's because all the things happen at night. I guess I don't know. I mean, not all the things. There are things that happen during the day. Whatever it is, is allowing him to get a good night's rest because it's just this once. Yeah, thirty. It's not a good night's rest. And he's not going to school. That is true. The next night appeared to be only slightly active. The family was alone and reported that there was only mattress shaking and scratching, but for only a half and an hour and a half. Can you imagine being so tormented that you're like, oh, no, tonight was a good night. We just had a little mattress shaking and a little scratching, and and then everything was fine. I mean, that's probably, definitely, yeah, it probably was like a break. Yes, finally. Probably. And their minds are probably like, okay, it's slowing down a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's not going all night. Yeah. On Monday, March 14th, it was a little bit more eventful. A stool was thrown from across the room over Roland's bed and over his head. And then the mattress shook for two hours. Just when they thought they were going to get a little reprieve. On Tuesday, March 15th, 
Um, it, it appears, this is my little note I put in here. It kind of appeared that Father Bishop was growing tired of writing the same things in his journal because it only says, there was the usual mattress shaking. The relic of St. Mary Margaret was thrown from the pillow. The mattress movement continued for two hours. Like you can hear the guy being like, God it's damn, I'm sick of this. Yeah. I have to write down the mattress shook one more time. I'm going to freak out. Um, after this entry, though, things really, really, really seem to escalate quickly. So buckle up because it's going to be a rough one from here on out. Um, on Wednesday, March 16th, Father Adam was given permission to read the prayers of exorcism according to the Roman ritual. So there are different exorcisms that you can read also. Father Bowdern, Father Bishop, and Mr. Halloran arrived at the home around 1030. Roland was sent to bed at about the same time, and Father Bowdern helped him examine his conscience and make an act of contrition, which I had to look up because, like I said, I'm not Catholic. So essentially, he was... Um, confessing his sins, and he was doing a prayer that expressed sorrow for his sins and asking for forgiveness. No, well, I mean, what do you do? He's 14. Well, I mean, everybody sins. I guess, but I understand that they have to do it, but he's probably like, I haven't done anything. It's not my fault this is happening. I think the purpose of that is because exorcism works like, a little better if yeah, you're you don't want clean. To think God's like punishing you or whatever. Plus, a lot of times exorcisms are fatal. So you want to leave the world with a clean slate and making sure you're up to snuff on your confessions and whatnot. Yeah. Um, after the prayer, Father Bishop, Mr. Halloran, and Roland's mom, aunt, and uncle were called into the room to prepare for the exorcism. Everyone knelt down beside the bed and acts of faith, hope, love, and cont contrition were recited together. Roland was even able to say some of the prayers. Then Father Bowden began the prayers of exorcism. During this time, they kept Roland awake. Uh, the lights were left on, and Roland kept his hands above the top of the blanket. They wanted to make sure that they could see what was going on. Immediately after Father Bowden began, three large parallel bars were scratched on Roland's stomach. So it was like somebody just, you know, all at the same time, like three scratches. Not too soon after, when they began reading more prayers, scratches appeared on his legs, thighs, stomach, back, chest, face, and throat. So the poor kid is being just torn up. All of the scratches were incredibly painful and caused red marks to raise up above the surface of the skin. It even drew blood. Roland said that some of the marks felt like thorn scratches and others like brands. He claimed the brand type marks were the most painful. So he's being scratched really horribly and almost being like seared and branded. <sighs> but those aren't the worst markings that appeared on Roland. A picture of the devil appeared on his right leg and the word hell on his chest in such a way that Roland could look down and read the words. So it was kind of upside down, like spelled out for him. These marks appeared as the priest reached the portion of the exorcism where he asked for the demon to identify himself. So the demon's like, um, the devil. Yeah, but it's so weird because, like, the first time they asked, they were like, no, I'm not the devil. Yeah, I'm Harriet. Yeah. Poor Harriet. She's been getting mislabeled this whole time. Well, I don't know because how the hell did whatever it was know where her hidden money was? Maybe she's down there. I don't know. It's a, de it's it's a demon. <laughs> it's a demon. It's a demon. <laughs> no, it's a demon. So, every I mean, come on. We talked earlier about how powerful they are. Well, they're not omnipotent, though. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. 
the word go, (laughs) the word go appeared in such a manner as to point toward Roland's crotch. Those present took this to mean that the devil would leave by way of urination or defecation. When they asked how many demons were present, a single line was scratched on Roland's right leg. Also, there were at least four heavy brand marks in the form of an X. They believed this could mean the exorcism would take 10 days or that the devil would depart his body at 10 o'clock. However, in the first days of the exorcism, the X really held no significance, and the markings on his legs seemed to be long scratches with no specific meaning. At least 25 times through the night, painful marks were made on Roland's body. After a few hours, Roland relaxed and fell into a quiet sleep. Father Bowdern and Bishop continued alternating in prayers. So he at least got a little bit of a reprieve. It seemed like things were going to go well until they began the prayers of St. Michael. At this point, Roland got agitated and began punching the pillow with excessive force. Mind you, he's still sleeping. And for the first time ever during times of possession, Roland began speaking. So it it was noted in there that any other time whenever he was, like at night when all these things were happening, he just sat completely quiet, like didn't say anything. So he starts speaking and his family stated that it was by far the most violent night that they had witnessed. And it really sounds like it. Holy water was sprinkled on Roland and he came out of his sleep. He was asked what he saw, and he replied that he was, quote, fighting a huge red devil who felt slimy and was very powerful, and that the devil was trying to prevent him from getting through the iron gates at the top of a pit that was about 200 feet deep and was very hot. He also said there were other small devils in the pit. So while he looks like he's sleeping to everybody on the outside, he's going through like this actual, like, spiritual yeah he's like trying to crawl out of the pits of hell and probably why he was screaming yeah i would imagine and that's probably where the branding and the hot and all the things come from it was at this point that roland showed what they thought was going to be a glimmer of hope and he said he wanted to fight the devil and that he thought he was strong enough to beat him which is actually a really good thing considering all he'd been through to have a positive attitude the priest again began to pray and Roland began to fight with his invisible enemy again. He appeared to be wrestling with someone in his hands. So he's like pantomiming this fight. Around midnight, Roland was so violent during his fights that it became necessary to pin him down to the bed. He shouted threats of violence at them, but did not use any foul language. And that's interesting. That's of note because I think later it gets kind of gross. Um, he did, however, spit at people multiple times, and he displayed incredible strength and freed himself a few times. Those present said his strength was comparable to that of a grown man much, much larger than Roland, which is also look very similar to the movie. I'm going to take a drink because my throat's getting heck of dry. Okay, and it's delicious. They occasionally doused him with holy water, to bring him back to a waking condition because that was the only way they could get him back. But as the night grew long, it started to be harder to keep him from falling back asleep. And each time he fell asleep, he violently gyrated and fought with the devil. Finally, at 5 a.m., the fits began to subside. But when Roland woke up a little later, he was incredibly weak. He could not sit up on on his own and he could not open his eyes and he could not stay awake long enough to even drink a glass of water. And... It's noted in there that he had 
requested water a lot when he would come out of these fits because he had always complained that it was so super hot when he had been fighting his adversary. They found it to be very abnormal that he wasn't able to take a drink at this point. The last part of the night of the first exorcism consisted of Roland falling back asleep and singing in a high-pitched voice and at a super high volume songs like Swanee and Old Man River. So he's just randomly singing in a voice that wasn't his own. He did not complete the singing of any of the songs, so he didn't sing one song all the way through, and they were full of mumbled and garbled words that were not easily understood. Plus, he was participating in full arm gestures and what they thought was a wild attempt at interpretation. So he was singing and flailing his arms and all this stuff while he was sleeping. During this time, Roland did not have to be subdued, though, except for twice, and his muscles became relaxed along with his attitude and composure. He was awoken several times on his own without the aid of holy water. So kind of got a little bit of a reprieve there. At 7.30 in the morning, he fell into a natural sleep, and that continued peacefully until 1 p.m. on March 17th. And I thought this was such a really kind of, I don't know, kind of really puts into perspective that we're dealing with an actual family because it said he felt so well that he ate a full meal and he and the family played Monopoly. So it's really easy for me to sit here and read this story about this kid that, you know, rolling dough or whatever, but then when you hear him, you know, he's just a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, he, what's he do when he feels better? He eats food and plays Monopoly. You know, it makes me kind of feel really sorry for him. Yeah. It's also a good thing, though, that he got a break long enough to actually eat and enjoy enjoy some time with his family that wasn't full of screaming and things being thrown. Yeah. And we are stopping there for part one because we have, that was nine pages. So there is still quite a bit left. This will be a three-parter, we think. It's a lot of information. And oh, I hope you're enjoying it so far as much as you can enjoy the hellish torment of a poor teenager. I think his story is very interesting in many ways. I think it's a lot scarier. I, I do think it's a lot scarier than The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. If they made this into a movie, I'm not sure many people would be able to watch it. <laughs> surprised they haven't, honestly. Probably some rights somewhere that someone owns. Probably. So, all right. Um, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Yep, we're at Monsters and Mixers Podcast on Facebook. And you can follow us on Twitter as well under the same name. Um, yeah. Leave us a like and a follow. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a rating. And if you have any stories that you'd like to share with us, you can send them to us via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com. Or you can do it through our Facebook page as well. And shout out to all of you guys for your support because we just hit our 500th listen today and we're super excited. Being a very new, small podcast of unknown people, it's hard to make it in this game and that was a really great milestone and we're super excited. So thank you very much. We will see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts and make some toast.